I'm going to try this. Uh, we are in the book of Nehemiah. Have you ever had one of those days where it's like one thing after another goes wrong, after another thing goes wrong, after another thing goes wrong? Um, and she's at work today. So uh, I'm kind of kind of convinced that we really need this message today. So that's where we're headed. We're in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in the middle of your Old Testament, but the story takes place at the end of your Old Testament. Uh, there are three books tied together, the book of Esther, the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah. Esther's about the political climate. Ezra is about a guy who goes back and rebuilds the temple. Uh, he sets up the temple part of, of uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people are in captivity. The walls are broken down. There's not many people left, but it's been that way for a long time, uh, over 100 years. We come to the book of Nehemiah, and it's about a guy who, um, he is in Shushan the palace, a Babylonian Persian palace, and God decides that uh, it's time for the city to be rebuilt. So as he's there, uh, as he's there doing his thing as a king's cupbearer, a friend comes in, a brother comes in and says, hey, look, um, he asks him, hey, what's going on? And he says, well, here's what's going on. So he tells him, the walls are broken down, everything's desolate. Nehemiah, chapter 1, starts praying about it, asking God to work, asking God to use him. He's, he's incredibly um, burdened about it, and he prays for four months. One day he's serving the king, and the king asks what's wrong, and Nehemiah takes a shot, and we talked about this last week. Nehemiah looks at the king, he says, look, my homeland's destroyed. He said, the place where my fathers are buried is, is desolate. He said, why wouldn't I be upset? And the king says, what do you want to do about it? Nehemiah immediately has a plan, and he says, I want to go back and build the walls. And the king says, okay. And then Nehemiah says, oh, by the way, I want diplomatic community. Will you give me a letter that says I can do this? And the king goes, okay. And Nehemiah says, oh, by the way, one more thing. Can I have your credit card because i got to pay for all this stuff? And the king goes, okay. Um, so he walks into Jerusalem. This is where we pick up our story this morning. He walks into Jerusalem with the king's approval, with with letters from the king with a blank checkbook ready to build walls, okay? And, and there's a lot of lessons packed into this, and I'm going to go as fast as I can through them all, but uh, here we go. Let's start with the story. Nehemiah um, chapter 2. I know it'll be really small up here, but uh, I'll read it really loud. <laughs> then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river. So in other words, he's talking about he makes an 800-mile trip to Jerusalem, all right? And gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. Now the king had sent a military escort with him. Nehemiah didn't ask for this, but the king sent it anyway. So he goes with this incredible military escort. And it, notice what it says. And when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now... These two guys, Sam Ballant and Tobiah, you need to remember because we're going to run into them a lot in this book. Okay? So let's talk about them so we have a good understanding of who they are. Sam Ballant um, is actually uh, the governor, the guy in charge of Samaria. Remember the Jews and Samaritans? They didn't play well together. Um, well, he's in charge of them. Notice he's described, and, and he's the governor. Samaria sat a little bit north of where Jerusalem was. It says he's a Horonite. Um, this was a local deity. So this guy is a Samaritan, and he's worshiping a pagan deity. So 
He has this paganness about him. He's concerned. Um, in fact, he's one of the guys that when the wall started to not be built before, uh, or when Ezra started to build the wall, he's one of the guys that went to the king and, sh- and shut it down. So Sam Ballot, there is, we've got him, Mr. Mr. Pagan Samaritan. And then we see Tobiah the Ammonite. Um, here's, here's his little story. The Ammonites were to the east of Jerusalem. So we got the governor to the north doesn't like it. The guy to the east doesn't like it. Uh, notice that he says he's an Ammonite. Uh, we know about him from the book of Ezra. And here's what happened. When they decided who should live in Jerusalem, and they were doing a census, and they were going through and making sure who was a, who was a true Israelite, when this guy's name came up, guess what? You know where his lineage is traced back to? A guy by the name of Lot. So they looked at him and said, uh, you ain't one of us. So you can't live here. So he goes to the east a little bit with the Ammonites. And so he's, he's, got, a little, he's got a little thing going on that he's upset with them anyway. Now all of a sudden, picture the scene. Nehemiah comes in with this armed escort, with letters from the king that said, I'm here to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, if you're to the east of them, and you're to the north of them, and all of a sudden now their city's going to become strong again, that's a problem for you. If you're in charge. We're going to be introduced before the day's over to a guy, who uh, Gisham, who's an, uh, who's an Arab, um, and, and he doesn't like it either. And, and they, these guys kind of become a thorn in the side of, of the people um, for a while. But notice what he says. So, so they're deeply disturbed. They're upset about this. And you're going to see what they do before the end of the message this morning. Goes on to the next chapter, or next verse. Here's what it says. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Now, Nehemiah makes this 800-mile trip and he gets there. And the first thing that he does is he rests. That's important. That's important. Jet lag, whatever it is. Take cars out three days and says, you know what, I'm not going to do anything yet. Maybe he had a couple of meetings, that kind of, but he rests. And then notice what he goes on to do. Then I arose, when? In the night. So he didn't do this during the day. In the night, I and a few men with me, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So in other words, privately, he knows what God wants to do, but he doesn't share it with anybody. Three days, doesn't share it with anybody. He takes a few guys with him. And notice what it says. He says, and I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent wall, to the refuse gate. I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. The gates burned with fire. Going on. Um, the next one, guys. Uh, I went on to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went to, we'll talk about that in a second. So I went to the night valley. I viewed the wall. I turned back. I entered the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. He said, you know what? Here's what happened. He takes, and at night, gets a couple of guys with him, and he decides to go check the whole thing out. He spends a lot of time walking around, looking at this, looking at that, trying to figure this out. Notice that little phrase right there where it says, uh, by the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal. And there was, the, the walls were so destroyed and everything was in such rubble that an, that, that an animal, a, a donkey, could not get through there. That's how devastated this thing was. At that particular spot in the wall, there's a real sharp drop-off. And actually, later on, when we find that Nehemiah does go and build the walls, he actually takes that section of the wall and moves it over. 
a little bit. Makes, makes the wall a little bit smaller in that section where it was safer and better to build. In other words, the whole time Nehemiah's walking around, he's checking this place out, he's looking at the walls, he's going, okay, you know, okay, we got to remodel here, we got to completely rebuild this. This is going to be an all-new structure right here. He's coming up with a plan, and he's not talking to anybody about it yet. Because honestly, when he comes marching into town, there's a lot of people wondering what he's, why he's there, what he's doing. So it goes on. He doesn't tell anybody. Now, notice what happens next, verse 17. Uh, next one, guys. Then I said to them, so now he gathers all the people together. Now it's time for him to reveal his big plan. You see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waits and its gates are burned with fire. Here's the thing. These people had lived this way for 100 years. You ever notice how there are things in your, in, in, in your home or in your farm or in your house that kind of get in disrepair and you just kind of keep ignoring it? We don't need testimonies, honey. Um, you know. <laughs> but you know how that goes, right? Where you've seen it so much, you just start to ignore it. And it doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't bother you once in a while. That's what had happened. These people had lived in this, in this disrepair and everything broke down for so long. It wasn't an issue to them anymore. And Nehemiah, an outsider, comes in and he goes, hey, guys, listen. Do you see this? Do you understand that people aren't going to follow our God when we can't even have walls to our city, that the pagans have walls to their city? Do you understand the reproach that we're in? Do you understand that nobody's going to take us seriously until we fix this? And notice what he says. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He says, guys, we need to do something about this. And then notice what he does. I told them in the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and the king's words that he had spoken unto me. In other words, he pulls out the letters and he goes, see this? Look, guys, the king has said we can do this because the king had shut it down before. By the way, see this? This is a blank check. The king's going to pay for it. Oh, by the way, see the big army with me right here? See all the guys that escorted me here? We have the king's approval for this. God has orchestrated it all for this time, right now. Let's, get, let's build this thing. And notice what the people said. It said, so they said to us, let us rise up to build. And they set their hands, this good. Everybody's a big rah-rah thing. You know, yay, our team, go, 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 go. Go Jerusalem, go Jerusalem, let's go build the wall. <laughs> now, <clears throat> the wall just gets built, and everybody's happily ever after, right? Uh-uh. Anytime God wants to do something great, you can be assured Satan's going to get his, his fingers into it. So notice what happens next. Going on. Here's what it says. Uh, next, next phrase. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. Now we got another guy. Now we got another guy. He's on the other side of, of the east. He's on the west side. Okay. He's technically under Babylonian Persian rule. Okay. Um, but he gets in it. Because, again, Jerusalem's going to become strong. That could be a problem to all of us really close. When they heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? In other words, you guys really think you're going to rebuild these walls? Really? Because remember, when they went into captivity, 
a lot of the strong, young people were pulled away. It was the aging people that were there. A new generation had come up, but they didn't know anything about a strong city. They had gotten used to seeing 100 years of decay. And he looks at him and he says, what is this thing you're about ready to do? Really? You guys think you can pull this off? And then notice what he does. Um, will you rebel against the king? Now listen, they chose their words very carefully. Because you see, if you rebelled against the king, you died. Pretty simple thing. Okay? That was a death penalty offense. They had already been accused of that, and the king had come in and shut the whole thing down. So they chose their words very carefully. You guys are rebelling against the king. Now wait, time out. What are the facts here? The facts are, Nehemiah has letters from the king. Nehemiah has a blank check from the king. And Nehemiah has the king's army standing there. But what are these guys doing? They're trying to slander them and trying to get the people to shift their focus. And notice what Nehemiah does. He brings it back and he says, So I answered them and said, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. You guys are going up against God. And, therefore, we, his servants, are going to rise and build. God wants us to do this. We're going to do this. And you have no right, no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And you, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it with the tone and the idea that he was saying it. First of all, you are a pagan, so you got no claim in this. You, you're, you're from the tribe a lot. You don't even belong in, in Israel. And you are a foreigner. Go away. Because this is what we're going to do. And that's how he handles them. That's how he handles them. So, a bunch of lessons for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive through it. First thing, one of, the, one of the things you see right off the bat with, with Nehemiah is this. There's a private aspect to your life that needs to be solid. God's going to use you. There's this private aspect. And when you look at this private aspect of Nehemiah, here's a couple things you see. Number one, you see the, the fact that he gets the rest that he needs. 800-mile trip, big project, excited, let's get going. I'm going to go sleep for three days. Why? Because he knows that when this thing starts, it's going to be boom to boom, 52 days straight of working in order to accomplish this. So the first thing he's got to do is make sure that he is ready for it physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So he takes three days and goes, I'm going to pull out for a little while and get charged up, and then when I get my rest, now I'm going to go out and check out the walls and come up with a plan. And it's going to be me. I'm going to take a few people with me that I can trust that can help me understand, and I'm, I'm going to bounce maybe a couple of things off of them. But there's a private aspect to his world that is very, very important before we get to the public aspect of his world that we read about in the book of Nehemiah. It is so important that you and I take care of that private world. I understand there are seasons in life where you go 24-7. You know, for farmers, getting heading into harvest, that's a 24-7 kind of world. Um, for churches in the middle of a building deal, that's kind of a 24-7 kind of world. For a guy who's going to build the walls in 52 days, that's a 24-7 kind of world. But, 
he makes sure that there's that private part carved out. And that is so important. And one of the things that I am seeing more and more and more is I'm seeing people that's outer worlds are falling apart. And the part of the reason their outer world is falling apart is because their inner world, in all honesty, is exhausted. And so they start making bad decisions because they're exhausted physically or emotionally or spiritually. And they haven't taken time to recharge that. And that is an important aspect of following God that we have. You see it in the life of Christ. Some of the most demanding times of Christ. Before Jesus goes to the cross, what does he do? He goes to the garden. He takes the disciples. Then he pulls three of them away and goes a little bit farther and then sets those three aside. And then he's spending private time. (laughs) For the most demanding thing that he's ever going to do. He pulls out private time. Notice how many times in the Bible when Jesus does something really spectacular as far as miracles or feeding of 5,000 and blah, 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 what it says next. And then he goes apart to a mountain to pray. He pulls away. He recharges. It's an important aspect of your life as a believer, as a child of God, as a follower. Second idea is not only is there that, that, that private aspect to your life, but Nehemiah tells the people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. (laughs) Nehemiah comes to him and he goes, guys, attention. A hundred years. This ain't been fixed. What are we going to do about it? Now, that's not the kind of thing you want some foreign guy 800 miles away, coming in, telling you to fix your city and that that you need to do that. But you know what? It's what the people needed to hear. The people had gotten so wrapped up in their world and so used to it that they, they didn't even realize what their need was. Look, one of the hardest things to do is to take somebody that you love and care about and tell them what they need to hear instead of telling them what they want to hear. One of the hardest things that you're going to find as a Christian, because you're like, well, I don't have any right to, I I just, you know, I don't, no, my life's a mess, and I don't have, no, time out. Do you love them or not? See, Proverbs says it this way, faithful are the wounds of a friend, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Just patting them on the back, going, oh, you know, that's okay. Yeah, we just love you. Instead of going, hey, you know what? You know what you're doing is wrong. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm just saying, you know this is wrong, right? When you care enough to be able to tell somebody that, look. When you watch your kids make mistakes, whether they're 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, You need to love them enough to pull them aside and go, hey, look, I'm concerned. This is not a good path. And like my kids, my kid, the saying in our house is this. Dad's going to give you your, his opinion whether you ask for it or not. Because I love them. I care about them. I don't want to see them pay the price that I've watched a lot of other people pay. And you go, well, you know, I just want my kids to love me. Well, you know what? Um, I want my kids to be healthy and safe, and I, I don't want them to have to go through some of the things that I watch other people go through. 
So you know what? If it means they're not going to like me for a little while, okay. If it means they're going to be upset with me, okay. And Nehemiah comes in and he looks at this thing and instead of telling the people, you know what? Hey, guys, you know, I think maybe we should think about, let's think about rebuilding the walls. He comes in and goes, look, guys, we're a reproach. We're a joke. Nobody's going to follow our God because we are a laughing stock. We can't even have walls around our temple. We can't even live in our city. This, this is ridiculous that we as God's chosen people are living like this. Let's change it and do something about it today. And the people go, yes. And they respond in a great way. But notice what happens. The second God's people, or the second you or I, try to do something for God, what happens? Opposition. Opposition. One of the ways that you know, (laughs) here's a great test. One of the great ways that you know that you're accomplishing something for God is if Satan works harder on you. It's ironic. You tell people, live for God, live for God, live for God, because Satan will attack you more, because Satan will attack you more. You know? It's like, why in the world do we tell people his message? You know? Because we tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That's why. And one of the things that you see here is the second you start to accomplish something for God or tackle something for God, opposition is going to come. Notice, because, and, and kids, kids, I mean, adults, I want you to pay attention, but kids really, really pay attention. Because this is the pattern right here for you. This will help you understand what's happening. What's the first thing they do? Remember? What's the first thing Sambiah and Tobiah and Geshem do? They ridicule them. They make fun of them. Kids, you decide to do what's right. You don't want to know what your friends are going to do who aren't concerned about doing what's right. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to ridicule you. It's an age, it's happened for thousands of years. It's not new. It's not like a 2017 thing. No, you go to do something wrong or do something right in front of your friends, they are going to make fun of you. Oh, come on. It's not that big a deal. Your parents won't find out. It's no, no, no. We don't have to. No, no, no. This will just be our little secret. And you go, no, no, I'm really going to do it. Oh, really? And they're going to make fun of you. You know why? Because you see, if you do right and they do wrong, they feel guilty. But if they can make fun of you so that you don't do right, then they feel okay. So they're going to make fun of you and they're going to laugh at you and they're going to call you all kinds of stuff, and they're going to go try to, try to say stuff about you so that you back down. That's what they tried to do. That's what they tried to do to Nehemiah and the children of Israel. And that didn't work. So what did they do next? They started slandering them. They started making up stuff about them. They made up crazy stuff. You get this? Crazy stuff. <laughs> You're rebelling against the king. Uh, excuse me. Newsflash letter with his with his stamp on it check written out to me for whatever i want army really you think that's going to fly but see they started making up and that's exactly what will happen if they can't get you to stop by making fun of you they will make stuff up about you and the second they can start picking away at you that way then they feel better about them doing wrong Understand, that's the way it works. 
So it takes a Christian of character to go, you know what? I'm not going to let you make fun of me. I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm not going to let you slander me and let that stop me. I'm going to keep on going. And notice how Nehemiah responds. What does Nehemiah respond with? God is on my side. God is on my side. And he knew that he was doing right. He knew that this is what God wanted. He knew that God had this at his plan. He knew that God was using him. So he said, you know what? I'm not listening to you. I'm going to go do what's right. We're going to go build the wall. We're going to go build the wall. And what it need, we need a generation of adults and kids who sit there and say, oh, you know what? We're going to do what God's called us to do. Really don't care. Make up stuff. Laugh at us. Do whatever you want to do. We are going to do what we need to do, what God has called us to do. Because you see, here's what's happening. And, and this is a subtle thing. And you're going to see this as the story goes on. These guys realize that if they can pull Nehemiah away from building the walls, actually at one point, they're going to try to get Nehemiah involved in meetings so that he's in so many meetings he can't build the wall. That's how crazy this gets. Nehemiah stands back and looks at this situation and realizes my goal is to build the wall. God's called us to build the wall. And so Nehemiah, and this is the last idea that, that, that I think is a Nehemiah stands up to them and basically confronts them. And Nehemiah, in essence, comes to a point where he says, go away, I don't even want to talk to you. That's going to become really blatant down the line. when he, That's literally what he says, go away, I don't want to talk to you. And you go, boy, that just doesn't sound like it's Christian, pastor. I mean, aren't we supposed to? Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers? Shouldn't we, like, try to work it out with Sam Ballant and Tobiah and Gisham? Shouldn't we try, like, maybe have a couple of meetings and try to smooth everything over? No. No. You go, wait a minute, I'm struggling because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus sit down and talk to the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes? No, they were on a different page. In fact, Jesus said, hey, 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 you guys, come here. I got an opportunity to talk to you guys. Let me see. See those guys over there? They're like the tombstones. They look all pretty on the outside, but inside they're rotten. They're decaying. They're dead. Oh, that group over there, they're like snakes. Give them a chance and they'll bite you and destroy you. Not a lot of peacemaking going on there. Why? Because here's the pattern, and this is the principle. <laughs> when it was somebody who was teachable, Jesus responds with love, kindness, mercy, gentleness, goodness, all those things. When it was somebody who was opposed diametrically to his message and tried to undermine his message, he confronted. Woman at the well, compassion, mercy, kindness. Pharisees who were trying to get him to sin, confront. Nehemiah, we have Sambiot, Tobiah, Grisham. These guys trying to undermine everything that he's doing. What does he do? He confronts them. He confronts them. Because one of Satan's tools, and this is a subtle tool, but one of Satan's tools is 
Had Nehemiah spent time and said, okay, guys, I'll tell you what, let's just go, let's tell you what, let's go to dinner, let's sit down, let's just try to talk this out. Let's see if we can compromise on something that will let me do the wall and keep you guys happy and blah, 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 blah. Nope. Nope. He looks at him and he goes, guys, this is not your deal. You just need to stay away. This is our wall. We're building this for our God. And you don't have any part of it. So move on. And you go, man, that sounds tough. Let me tell you something. When it comes to leadership, when it comes to God's work, there are times that that's exactly what has to be done. There are times that you have to confront and oppose those who are trying to stop the work. These guys are going to get more and more subtle as, the, as, it, as it keeps going on and it keeps going on. Kids, listen to me. There are some kids that you just need to go, you know what? I can't be friends with them. I can live peaceably with you. I can be as nice as I can to you as a human being. But the bottom line is, I can't be your friend because you're on a completely different page than I am. It's not, and again, I'm not talking about kids who you can reach. I'm talking about kids who are adamant about tearing down everything you're trying to believe. I know about kids who are attacking it constantly. You still love them, but I'm saying you've you, you got to just part ways. And so you go, well, you don't understand. We've been friends since we were blah, blah, blah. You don't understand. Satan will use them to destroy you. And you've got to have the insight to figure that out. That's why, by the way, look. Your parents are not anti-friend. Your parents are anti-bad influence. And believe it or not, way back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, they were teenagers. And they know. You're like, well, you know, they just don't understand. They didn't have all the technology. You don't understand. Maybe we didn't have the technology. But nothing's changed. Nothing new under the sun. All the stuff you deal with, they dealt with. They dealt with bullying. They dealt with friends. They dealt with, with you know, parents' rules. They dealt with where they couldn't go. They dealt with curfews. They dealt with all that stuff, too. Okay? What I have often found is the ones who go, my parents were so tough on me, I'll never be that tough on my kids. Most of them are tougher on their kids than their parents were on them. And, and here's why. Because they know how parents, how tough their parents were, and they know how much they still got away with, and so they're trying to plug all those loopholes. Okay, um, that's what often happens. I, I say it to say this: Listen, some of you have some situations that you need to confront. Okay, and and, and you just need to say, you know what, enough is enough. Um, again, I try to make this as practical as I can. Listen. If you haven't figured this out yet, Facebook is a positive-negative kind of thing. And if you're not careful, Facebook has a way of sucking you into these arguments with people that have no intention whatsoever of changing or anything else. They just want a reaction. Don't, don't, don't get sucked into that. You know, um, I, I have people all the time 
because again, I have some very, very, I mean, I have, I have people in my Facebook that, that are unchurched people that don't, don't espouse the values that I do. And, and, and every once in a while, they'll post something and, and, and there's like that temptation to suck me into that thing. And, and I fight it and I go, you know what, I'm just not going to get into that. Um, some of you get sucked into this political thing. The next thing you know, you're posting, you're losing sleep over it. and you're <sighs> Come on. Come on. You know, figure out. That on some of those things you confront, on some of those things you just walk away, on some of those things you try to work it out. But, but some of you, I'm afraid, it's this issue of most of you, most of you I would say tend to work, be along the lines of you don't want to confront. Because it's not your nature. But you need to. You need to. You need to speak the truth in love, but you speak the truth. You don't just keep glossing it over. And, and I just want to challenge you because Nehemiah is able to accomplish the impossible because when he is, when opposition comes, he handles it well. And you're going to watch it over and over again. You're going to watch all kinds of opposition come into this building of the wall thing. And you're going to watch every time he handles it in this phenomenal way that allows the work to continue and Nehemiah to bring the people closer together. So I, I just want to challenge you because I think sometimes we forget that. So for those of you who are a little bit burned out, the most spiritual thing you might hear from me today is go home and take a nap. Recharge. Do whatever you need to do to get the... By the way, and you go, well, I do that every time I sit in the chair. Then... That's your body screaming to you. Something needs to change. This has been my experience. God loves you. So if you don't change it, he will. If you don't slow down, he will slow you down. Because he loves you. And he wants you for the long haul. So that's your call. But... As a, in, 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 in this thing, one of the things that happened in our culture is we're running too fast. Because see, in the old days, you got to remember, in the old days, I'm talking about like before electricity, old days, when the sun came up, you worked, when the sun went down, you were done. Most of us, I mean, we literally burned the midnight oil. You know, I, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I couldn't tell you last time I went to bed before 11.30. You know? Just because that's what we do. You can't do that long term. It doesn't work. Second idea, be willing to tell people what they need to hear. Speak. As we're talking about in Sunday school, be bold. And when opposition comes, expect ridicule, expect slander. And when you need to confront, confront. And don't back down. That allows you to focus on what God has called you to do and be the person God has called you to be. Okay? Let's, I'm going to, oh, I got to, I always end with this, don't I? Okay. Let me read it to you. God uses Nehemiah to show us the value of humility, planning, action, vision, faith, trusting God. He teaches us the importance of leadership and boldness 
in face of opposition. He shows us the type of person God uses to accomplish great things. We need those things in our lives as well. Let's change it this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We want to be used. Lord, we want our lives to be about you and not about us. Lord, there's some in here that things are so out of balance, Lord. There is no rest. There is no. There's just one deal to the next deal to the next deal to the next deal. And, uh, Lord, they wonder why there's no joy and they struggle like they do. So just help them to understand that this week. Lord, for others, um, Lord, in the face of opposition, they have backed down, they have compromised, they have changed, they've backed away. And, Lord, help them to find the courage and the boldness to stand when they need to stand, to learn when they need to learn, to make peace when there needs to be made peace. And, Lord, for all of us, use us this week. Lord, we may not be building a wall, but we are building our lives and the lives around us. So use us to do that. And we will give you the honor, the glory, and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen.